Welcome to the Artist Rights Watch podcast. I'm your host, Nick Patel, a songwriter, a publisher, and a student of the music industry. Alongside me, I have David Lowry and Chris Castle. David Lowry is a platinum-selling songwriter and performer for bands Cracker and Capper van Beethoven. He currently lectures to music business students at the University of Georgia and is an ongoing artist rights activist. Chris Castle is a music lawyer in Austin, Texas, where he represents artists and music tech companies and works on public policy issues for artist rights, and his content information is in the show notes. So for a third episode of the Artist Rights Watch, it's actually a special episode of the Artist Rights Watch because you're the very first guest on the podcast. We have Mala Sharma from Georgia Music Partners, a music advocacy group. And so what we're going to be doing today is going through a couple bills and legislation. Specifically, we'll be talking about HB 226, HB 157, HB 508, and HB 486. It's okay if you don't already know what these are, we will delve into them as the podcast progresses. It'll be a very short intro for me in terms of the topic introductions. Um, we're just going to jump straight in. Mal has a brilliant mind and knows all about this stuff. She has gone through so many different facets of the industry and just knows it in and out. And so it was an amazing experience to have her on the podcast. And I think you guys will gain so much information from listening to this podcast. Of course, we'll have Chris and David join us as well and give their insight into these bills. But we'll be looking to see how these bills will affect us going forward, how is it going to affect the industry, and what states have already approved these bills. So we're just going to jump straight in, enough of me blabbing on, um, and we'll get on to the call. So thank you all for watching, and uh, enjoy the episode. Right, so for today's episode, we have our first ever guest on Honest Rice Watch, Mala Sharma. Thank you so much for coming. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Great to hear. Of course, we also have Chris Castle and David Lowry. Chris will be joining us in a bit, but David, how are you doing? Doing good. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what um, Mala has to tell us today about some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we delve straight into legislation, Mala, I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on your background. Your background is Vastly in the music industry, you've worked in very many different facets of the industry, learned so much about all the ins and outs of everything. Um, you were a public relations man- major at the University of Georgia. And then at that time, the University of Georgia didn't even have a music business program, which is where David Lowry now lectures. And of course, the University of Georgia is home to Athens, Georgia, which has a big music history. And Mala, I believe, was... Mala was kind of part of that, right? You were there. You were there kind of in the heyday, right, Mala? I was there in, yes, during REM's heyday. Uh, Pylon had reunited. I was lucky enough to um, work um, as, you know, the first job out of college was working at a small record label um, called Doggone Records that was started by um, Jefferson Holt, who was at that time one of the Um, co-managers of REM and then went from that into managing two um, Athens bands, Pylon and the Chickasaw Mutt Puppies. Um, And so that that was kind of my um, foray. But even prior to that, just being a student at UGA and being surrounded by, um, you know, all that was happening musically in Athens, I kind of found a way to to use my PR, um, what little PR knowledge I had learned at that point to kind of write bios and press releases and, um, and help bands when they were on the road getting um, 
interviews set up for radio stations and, and, and things like that. Yeah, and I never thought it would end up it being an actual job, <laughs> but backed into that one. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you went from PR to then do artist management, then you went to the production space when you were an executive assistant for Rick Rubin, and then you kind of moved into the financial area with the entertainment banking firm, and then now you're in artist advocacies and music advocacies at Georgia Music Partners now. That's right. Why don't you explain actually a little of what Georgia Music Partners does because there's very few states that have what Georgia has, right? So. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So Georgia Music Partners is essentially an all advocacy, all volunteer music coalition of music industry professionals. It's a trade organization, bottom line, but we don't specialize in just one niche. Um, you know, it, it's the entire industry, whether songwriters, engineers, producers, artist managers, business managers, you know, accountants, attorneys, um, backline companies, production, anyone involved in the industry. Um, we, um, you know, we like to hear from, and they're a part of our organization, um, some 20,000 plus um, industry professionals around the state. And we started really as um, kind of a response to Georgia Production Partners, which was the film industries advocacy group. And they were the ones that were um, credited with creating the um, uber successful film tax incentive that has, you know, um, movies now being shot all over the state and is, I think, the number one state for doing, we're the number one state for doing production um, all across, uh, you know. So uh, we, we saw what they were doing and said, music should do something similar why don't we work on that? Um, and uh, and that's where it was uh, kind of born out of. And and we're we're really proud of the fact that you know it, we take more of a proactive approach to policy and advocacy because I think for so long the music industry has been reactive and has had to fight you know various tech companies or fight old archaic, um, you know, legislation or to fight Ticketmaster, you know, whatever it was, it was always a reactive approach. And so we wanted to be um, more on the front lines of like, what can we do that can positively help our business? Um, and, and now there are other states that are, uh, have reached out to us and said, how do we form something similar um, and do something, you know, similar to what Georgia Music Partners is doing. So that might be something that we um, broaden and help them develop across the country. Mm, that's interesting. So like, it's not like, say, the National Music Publishers Association or the IRAA, which represents an industry segment. This is just the entire music industry in Georgia. That is correct. Uh, okay, yeah, that's fascinating. You know, yeah, it is fascinating. And, and there could come a time where maybe there was something where it, you know, it, it, two sides could be pitted against each other, but we've been fortunate that that hasn't happened. Right. But yeah. Okay. That's cool. 
Okay. So you guys get involved in that legislation, right? Yes, that, that's a big part of what we do. Um, and it, with the intent to create more investment and more opportunity for the industry here to grow. For our graduates of the I think 48 post-secondary programs around the state to have an opportunity to um, stay in Georgia and work in Georgia. We've invested in their education and we want them to stay and build their careers here in the state. And we want those opportunities to be here. And so most of what we do is to either strengthen what's here or try to broaden. Molly, I guess we'll delve into what these legislations are. We have five to kind of briefly go through. Um, we can start with HB 226 if you wanna just give us a brief rundown of what these bills include. All right, so HB 226 is a bill that um, was introduced by Greg Kennard and it is a sales tax exemption um, on tickets for fine arts programming. And it gets, uh, you know, it, it is something that was already in effect um, for a few years here in Georgia. And then it sunsetted, I think July of 20, um, or might've been 2019. And so they're trying to reintroduce that and bring it back. I think it, um, for several reasons, we support it, but, but now more than ever with the venues struggling due to COVID, um, as well as fine arts and theater programs around the state, you know, every little bit helps. And, and if um, they are able to, um, to pass this and, and have those, um, you know, that sales tax exemption, I think they want to carry it just for a, a few years forward. Um, I think that that would be really impactful. The interesting thing with this bill is the bill um, did not move out of the music um, subcommittee in the house in time, but it has been, a, parts of this bill have been attached to other bills that are in motion. So um, it is still a possibility that this bill um, will get passed in several different, um, being carried in several other pieces of legislation. Um, so yeah, we think, we think that that's one that uh, statewide will, uh, you know, I think like the Classic Center in Athens and um, the Strand in Cobb County, there are just hundreds of theaters around the state that would be able to uh, take advantage of this. Yeah, especially the smaller venues. I know like recently, I believe there was a quite iconic one in Athens that had to close down because of COVID with funding and everything. Yeah, I think it was the Caledonia in Athens that finally, mm -hmm been around for a long time this is kind of the smallest of our national venues but it uh was actually a, one of the original 40 watt locations but uh, right yes it was uh, yeah so i think that one closed down and there might have been another one chris in, in austin texas you've probably seen a lot of closed venues i assume yeah right? yeah COVID. there's been quite a few and many of them have actually not just closed down for the duration, but they've literally gone out of business. Like some of the old ones, like Threadgills, you know, there, there's been a few. Uh, we'll see, you know, if um, 
if the Save Our Stages money helps. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about Save Our Stages, but it's, it's um, you know, nobody's gotten any money out of it yet, although supposedly. Yeah, the SBA is still supposedly working on the regs for that, and they're supposed to be opening up applications in April, but, you know, literally every month it goes by, it's, um, you know, more bills due for these venues, and, and they, you can't plan for being closed for over a year. No, definitely not. No income. Definitely not. And the other, the other, the other thing that was happening here, uh, because real estate prices have just gone through the roof uh, in Austin with, you know, a portion of New York and California moving here. Um, they have uh, gotten into it with the landlords who are not really that heartbroken, you know, to see venues move away or shut down. And um, they have um, made some deals like, well, you know, when COVID's over, we'll pay, we'll, we won't pay you any rent during COVID, but we'll pay you double rent. Well, double rent is about to start happening, you know, because it was usually tied to some event. And if you can't pay single rent, how are you going to pay double rent? So that's starting to take hold now uh, with some venues. And we've also got situations where, you know, I'm hearing like some of the performing rights societies are chasing them for licenses for music that was not played because they were closed and, um, you know, things like that. So there's headaches. Uh, galore, you know, uh, to uh, to try to get reopened, but you know, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. The state has been actually quite helpful on, on that. Just to finish that, I just wanted to mention, you know, the tech, the governor's music has really been helpful on all this stuff, and actually complained to the SBA about not having um, not having the application process open. So that, I don't know how much help that was, but um, within about three weeks after they sent their letter, uh, which was, you know, when it comes to the Curse Music Office, the next stop is the Greg Abbott Graham. You know, it's not going to go to the head of the SBA, <laughs> right? It's going to go to somebody else. And, um, so they, you know, I don't know how much it had to do with it, but they've announced April 8th, actually, is the day they're going to they're gonna get, get, get the applications live. And we've been sort of pressuring the SBA office, the advocacy, to help out with that, um, with a lot of finger pointing and, you know, whatever it is, they say April 8th, so we'll see. But that will be a huge shot in the arm, obviously, you know, if that money starts to flow. Yeah, I think a life a lifesaver at you know for some of the venues that have been able to hang on for sure. So Bill SBA one five seven, also known as the Mary Wilson Truth and Music Advertising Bill. Could you give us a little bit of detail into that one? I think that was a really interesting one. Yeah, sure. It is an interesting one. So this bill was actually first introduced last year. Um, by uh, Senator Bill Cowsert, who is uh, from Athens, Georgia. And Senator Cowsert also reintroduced it this year. Um, and this bill 
is one that in various um, different ways has been passed in 35 other states already. And it is essentially, as its name implies, you know, a truth in music advertising bill. And it is to um, keep bands from using the name of a band that uh, they don't, if, if they are not that band, they are, if there's not at least one original member from that band in the group, or you can't spell, for example, I just, I think a couple of months ago, I think Pearl Jam was dealing with this and they had a band uh, called Pearl Jam, J-A-M-M. And, um, and so it, it can't be close enough to the name where it would cause any confusion. Um, you know, artists and bands, um, you know, their entire career is built on their brands and creating, um, you know, and building a following. And so um, this is kind of, it's, it's meant to generally um, as, as a consumer protection to, you know, protection measure to keep deceptive acts from touring as someone else. Um, and it's, it's um, this one's got a really broad base of support. It's, you know, obviously all the venue, um, a lot of the venue, the venue groups support it and the artists and, and, and publishing folks as well as the Recording Academy, at, but it's primarily being pushed by the RIAA. Um, and, uh, you know, and at least locally in, in Atlanta, um, or in Georgia, one of our uh, Hall of Fame members, Sam Moore, was really um, heavily involved in it as he had been, um, you know, th there was an imposter pretending to be him that, that had toured and uh, he had to go and issue cease and desists. And, and this is just a, um, you know, just, just something that they're trying to pass in, in every state around the country to make it a little more uniform. That's neat. I think there uh, it's another state. I don't know if it's New York, maybe that has a bill, a law similar to that. He had a number of these sort of yeah. legacy, yes, it's R and B, yep. R and B groups that had multiple knockoffs. You know, people that had their somehow had the name and were imitating them and stuff over the years, right? So this is, seems odd, but um, but it's something that happens and has really impacted yeah. a lot of uh, like historically important artists, especially. Right? Yeah, I'll tell you the states that have already passed these laws. I'll just read them out for you. So we've got them, but it's California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas. Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. This year, they're hoping it passes through Georgia, obviously, and um, a handful of the other states they're working on. Uh, this bill did cross over the Senate um, and it was voted out of all the Senate committees and the Senate floor unanimously. It has passed through the music and creative industries committees in the House unanimously. And we hope it goes to the House floor uh, next week um, for a vote. And if it does get passed, then we'll hope the governor signs it. 
So one one point about that um, that just struck me while I was listening to you describe it, Mala. You know, one of the one of the things that we've complained about uh, for years is the fact that Facebook um, and other people sell artist names as keywords or as part of their you know uh, audience definition, and uh, uh-huh. it's just on me as I was listening to you talk about like about the bill that that might be I have to read the bill but that, that might be a way to get after these folks on a consumer protection level to get them to, to stop doing that to, to go in and maybe tweak the language to include digital yeah uh, because this is more live um, you know but, it's probably but uh, if you could go yeah, but if you could go in and tweak um, the the bills around the country um, to you know to include digital distribution, yeah. And the way it works, Chris, you know, for for Georgia, every state's uh, consumer protection laws are a little bit different. So this one was just kind of written into our existing um, fair business practice. Right. Um, right one so so then mola i know that hb 508 is similar to sb 157 there's a provision about online sites that deal with the spread of electronic recordings for commercial works is does that relate to anything that what what chris was saying with facebook um not really but um that may be another avenue that we can talk about uh, so yeah, HB 508 was kind of the companion bill to SB 157. We also had it introduced in the House and just, you know, if if it can move one way or the other faster. Um, so so it is half of it was that truth and music advertising portion. And the other half is uh, what they call TOGA, True Origin of Goods Act. And and essentially, David, you'll love this one. Um, essentially, anyone who distributes, you know, electronic dissemination of commercial recordings have to display the true name and address information of the distributor on it um, so that it protects consumers and the legitimate marketplace. Uh, currently, Florida and te- Tennessee have already passed this. Um, this provision. Unfortunately, it didn't move out of the House uh, this session, but Georgia's legislature operates on two-year terms, so we'll be able to pick it up, um, you know, and, and hopefully get it passed in the next um, next next session in January. So, but, so for, ex- for example, would this be the case like where, you know, essentially you had something like a mega upload or an MP3B or something like that, that's illegally distributing the songs and recordings and stuff like that, they would have to... If they don't list their actual at address and where they're operating from, um, then yes, they would be in violation of this. And I think it's meant to deter, you know, most of them try to kind of hide where they operate right uh, make it harder to 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 find them right so this would this would sort of allow uh you know basically for them to be brought 
into a court or pursued by law enforcement. Um, uh, whereas, because as it turned out, uh, Chris, you can correct me on this mega upload, which was the big, you know, back in 2012 was apparently like something like 4% of all internet traffic it was a pirate site supposedly operating out of New Zealand. But then it turned out the servers were there in Northern Virginia, not too far from the my headquarters. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Stone throw from Quantico. Um, yeah, that's right. So, in actuality, if that had been known, you know, that could have been dealt with a lot easier. I mean, they're still trying to extradite the principal from New Zealand ten years later. Yeah. Almost ten years later, but you know, the site could have been shut down much, much sooner. Yeah. Uh, if, if we had have known that, right? Yeah. Well, their, uh, their, their, their distributor site actually did cooperate uh, in Virginia um, mm -hmm. since they've got Google Maps too. They probably figured that was a good idea. But um, it was a, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite, quite a thing. Um, Actually, we've got one of those toga bills also in the Texas legislature right now that we've been working on. Yeah, I got the state bar to include it in their legislative package, and then I got RAA to um, put a lobbyist on it. So basically, what the Tennessee bill Tennessee bill requires the state to take action. And they've had one reported case, I think, in Tennessee that had substantial damages, which, of course, will never be paid. But um, they were able to shut down uh, the site. And then the Florida bill is a private right of action. And they've had one case down there, which basically resulted in the site being shut down. Uh, so there hasn't been like a whole bunch of activity, but it's been very effective. Uh, and our bill is both um, civil and also uh, criminal uh, under the unfair competition, essentially unfair business practice uh, jurisdiction of the attorney general. Yeah, the Georgia one is just civil. <clears throat> um, but but uh it, you know it, it's essentially an anti you know uh, anti-piracy counterfeit sort of measure and i also believe the mpaa i mean there, there are a lot of other folks that are very supportive of this as well uh, you know and for us here in georgia obviously you get the mpaa support um and and that carries a little more weight with with all the movie production that's going on here so so another thing there is do you think this applies to there's there's sort of this weird thing that happens on the legitimate license service where sometimes artists work appear on these services but it's not their distributor it's just like some random no you know nobody up to no good who will literally distribute your work onto something like Spotify or, you know, say SoundCloud or even onto YouTube, and they're claiming to be this distributor or rights holder. How would that work with somebody distributing? And, and oftentimes too, you, 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 there's no way to track these people down. You right click on 
on Spotify or, you know, maybe look in their credits and see who's distributing it. Or you go to YouTube and it says, you know, this got some company uh, claiming that they're distributed, they have the rights to distribute it or something like that. And you can't find these companies. Would that apply to a case like that with YouTube or Spotify? It's not that actually Spotify is, is the, is the, is the distributor that the consumer sees, but somebody previous to that has distributed that work to Spotify. And their name listed. Find legal mind of Chris on this <laughs> one because. Uh, well, so what, what, you know, in, in, in the typical Toga situation, uh, it's not really designed for that example. But I don't okay. think, I think it might be possible to um, twist it around to get it to apply to that situation. But what, what I've done with, with material on Spotify, particularly the uh, millions and millions of address unknown um, NOIs that these guys all filed, all these digital services, was I cross-referenced some of the more suspicious-looking ones against Amazon and found that there were also physical copies of these works being sold. And of course, almost every state, remember, I, I think every state has a uh, true name and origin statute for physical goods, right? And you could probably get at it that way, but not, not through the Spotify connection necessarily, but if they were also selling physical. Okay. It'd be a different statute wouldn't be the digital one, but you might be able to twist the digital one. I'd have to look at the language. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. It's not like a huge problem, but a lot of uh, more kind of obscure artists um, sort of sometimes find, you know, that they're being distributed and they don't know how, right? And I don't know how somebody makes much money off of this. I don't know if there's actually stream fraud or something that goes along with this. That would be like sort of, you know, getting robots to play tracks. You know what I mean? I don't know if they that's somehow part of that world, but it was just interesting to me. So a side note is, does this, is this the same as like the whole leak trend? Like if, you know, David's band recorded a song and it didn't make the album cut. Is that leak, you know, someone got a hold of it, put it on YouTube, is that still necessarily commercial work that would still fall under this legislation? Or is it only if somebody had copied it from, say, Spotify, or they had some access to an actual recording that was released through a proper distribution channel that Cracker had in place? I just copied it and distributed it, or is it still treated the same? Uh, I I don't know myself. I mean, I don't think I think if the toga bill wouldn't apply to the situation I said before, I don't think it would apply to that either. I think one of the good things about unreleased works is you know usually those are essentially you know there's some sort of computer breaking and entering that occurs when those things leak. So you have a whole host of laws that can prevent that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, yeah. So that's what I think anyway, yeah. 
Yeah, the Togepills are really, in your example, Nick, the Togepills are really designed to, to get at someone who would be in YouTube's position, not necessarily someone who is distributing through YouTube. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, steer back into the little timeline we got going on. So we have HB486, which deals with musical licenses and production. So Mala, could you give us another brief? Yeah, sure. So um, HB486 was sponsored by Representative Beth Moore, who is actually, um, when she's not in the house, uh, when she's not one of our house members, she is a uh, entertainment attorney. Um, but it's also called the music licensing bill. It is a standalone bill that addresses um, music licensing fees <clears throat> that were originally excluded from the film, the Georgia Film Production Incentive. And she is, has, has drafted this bill to allow for these fees to count as a qualified expense towards those, um, those productions that shoot here, uh, provided that those fees are paid um, only to Georgia-based publishers, publishing companies, songwriters, creators, you had uh, um, having done at least one year of business prior um, in the state of Georgia. So, um, you know, the goal here is that it provides another opportunity for Georgia music creators and composers to um, to have you know another an opportunity to place their uh, their works in these productions that are being filmed and shot here in Georgia, and with that you know that that very robust tax credit, um, and and the aim is that those big production companies would would look to our our folks to to fill in some of their needs. So would that idea here be that like films might be scored in Georgia because that's a very expensive part of the music is if you do an actual real fully blown score, that's that's a significant expense. Is that sort of what one of the angles here? That is more an angle of the next bill that I'll talk about, but okay. this is strictly the music licensing fees or okay. um, you know, fees associated with the you know licensing for so those. that would be existing works, music that was probably created in Georgia uh, or, or is created in Georgia. The publisher is based here. So some of this is to use essentially the weight of the film production business that we have here now in Georgia to have a, have a kind of more of a homegrown publishing composer songwriter business here in Georgia because we do, we one at one time we really did Right. And we've lost some of that to Nashville. That's exactly right. A lot right. of the publishers are now, right? Right. There still is, of course, like Lowry Publishing, no relation to me, by the way, right here in yep. Georgia. Yep. Bill yes. Lowry. Yep. Yes. Um, you know, and then we've got, so for the, the testimony uh, in front of the music committee, we had, you know, the Isaac Hayes the third. 
you know, he, he lives in Georgia. His father's catalog is, is housed here. Otis Redding's daughter as well, Carla Redding Andrews. So you've got, you know, we've got legacy artists that are here. You've got young composers. You've got, um, uh, a, you know, the composers for the digital video games. Chris Rickwood um, is one of the biggest game, video game, um, you know, music, uh, sound designers, and he's here. So to try to find opportunities to um, to broaden their, um, you know, their ability to 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 connect with some of the projects that are being created here. Okay. And so what? So leading into that, what's the next bill then? So the next bill is House Bill Seven Eighteen, and I think um, Nick, since we last spoke. This was um, introduced by uh, Representative Calvin Smyrie from Columbus, Georgia. And um, this is an am amendment to the Georgia Music Investment Act. So I think at the beginning of our conversation, I'd mentioned how GMP originally started out to try to mirror what uh, that film tax credit was. So a few years back, we um, passed the Georgia Music Investment Act, and the act was designed to work um, in three ways. Uh, one, to incentivize tour origination in the state of Georgia. So tour rehearsals for um, productions, there's a set minimum uh, number of days that they would have to rehearse here, they'd have to meet a minimum threshold, and then they would get a tax credit. Um, it's also was um, designed to incentivize scoring, as we just talked about, David, um, for productions for TV, film, and video games. So to try to find opportunities for, you know, we've got a world-class orchestra here in the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, but even beyond that, Georgia's got about 30 symphonies around the state. We've got a wealth of talented musicians, um, you know, scoring um, you know, in the classical sense or, you know, putting all of our other studios around the country, um, it, you know, to work using the musicians that are here. Um, and then the last was just straight up recording um, projects. And so the bill passed a few years back and, you know, what the bill starts out as and what ends up getting passed are often uh, farther apart than, than, you know, than they need to be to work. And unfortunately, it, you know, it, it needs tweaks in order to be successful. And um, GMP pushed for um, some of these amendments um, you know, the last, I would say, three or four years. And so Representative Smyrie has introduced a bill that would fix some of these things. One is to allow the bill to be transferable or refundable. And essentially, that is the biggest missing link um, in order for these projects and these large productions to come to Georgia they need to be able to use that tax credit. And the way it's written currently, um, it, 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 it's only beneficial if the business is already Georgia-based because it's just a tax, it's, it's a credit on your Georgia, on your Georgia um, tax liability. 
And what we're trying to do or do is attract investments from all over the world and outside of the state. Um, so without it being transferable or refundable, it has not been useful. We've had um, several inquiries, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, the Columbus um, River Theater wants to bring in Broadway, pre-Broadway shows. Um, the Eagles wanted to rehearse here. There have been several um, uh, scoring opportunities, but because that, that transferable um, piece is missing, it has not been, been able to be um, used. And then also just lowering the threshold and um, allowing it to be aggregated so that uh, let's say a publishing company or an independent label could come in and make five records um, for the cost of, you know, just to meet that minimum threshold, um, you know, then they could use it. And so that's what this, this bill does. Again, it was introduced to the session late, but we hope that um, we can come back and, and, and support it um, moving on next year as well. So if I may get a bit of clarity on this, um, could we quickly define necessarily what a quote unquote Georgia composer is? And as simple as that question sounds, you know, I would pass on myself as a composer. I currently live in Georgia. I lived a lot of my life in Georgia. If I then got up and moved to California, am I then classified as a Californian composer? Could somebody at a production company in Atlanta say, well, these works were composed in Georgia or Nick is from Georgia. We can use his work to put towards that minimum or is it wherever I reside is the state that I belong to? Um, it, it will depend on where you're publishing. I mean, you know, are you paying in, in state taxes for your royalties and your is your publishing based in Georgia or did it move with you to California? Okay. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Has there, is there any consideration of something like the Canadian, the old, I don't know how the old, the Canadian maple law works now, but I always, I think it works something like this. The maple law was to ensure that Canadian radio played a certain amount of Canadian music and so that they you know they weren't swamped by American culture they had their own bands and everything and I thought Maple stood for musician artist producer label and you got a quarter for each point of those is there anything like that in this to count as Canadian content so you could have something that had a little bit of Canadian content and something that um you know, just as long as it sort of added up to the threshold, the radio station was supposed to meet. Is there anything like that? So, Hopefully I mean, there's I get that wrong Canadian listeners. Okay. But <laughs> like that. I mean, there is a long list of, of um, qualified expenses that, you know, that would help you meet that threshold. So, you know, if, say we're recording and, and just the, the recording costs alone meet the minimum, then we could hire Nick Patel in California. It wouldn't matter. But if you're trying, you know, but if you hire someone from Georgia, then obviously you're, um, you'll get a, you, you know, you're a, a bigger percentage of that credit back the more that you use uh, Georgia based talent. Okay. So I also want to touch real quickly on 
this. I mean, when we evaluate these bills, it seems quite incentivized for a lot of parties and a lot of people on the surface would say that they support it. Is there any big parties that are against these sort of legislations? Could you touch a little bit on that? Sure. Um, you know, I think tax credits overall are falling out of favor. Um, you know, they're, they're not um, as popular as they were, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, so there's certainly that. I think, um, you know, I tend to look at it as these are not tax credits, but these are incentives. And this is, we're trying to attract investments that otherwise don't come here. Um, you know, it, it's the cost of doing business. You want to, you want to try to bring opportunities um, for, you know, for the business to expand. And, um, you know, I would love to see this spread throughout the country. I, you know, it, it, being here in Georgia, I want to see our artists and talent put to work, but in, you know, in really studying how the film tax credit has grown, you know, it started off, you know, David, funny enough, it started off with the Canadian film credit was the first, it was the model one. And now, I mean, it, film production companies have credits all over the world it's been tremendous for their business so if you know if this was successful in a few markets other states will start you know that com competition thing starts to heat up um and and perhaps it it this would be another way for you know uh music recording and and tours to you know to benefit because I, I think you know and the whole premise of Georgia Music Partners is is to empower our industry and add be better advocates for ourselves. Music is economic, you know, is economic development. Yes, we're artists. Yes, we're creative. Yes, we're talent. But you know, in, in the state of Georgia, we are three point eight billion dollars of economic impact. I'd like to. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen. There's a recent study that just came out. It's called 50 States of Music. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. It, that's the website, 50 States of Music. And basically you can go through and it shows you, you know, in, in numbers, what the economic impact is of the industry across the country and, and, and drills it down uh, state by state. But, um, you know, I, I think there, I'm sure there are naysayers who think that you know this is taking money out of someone else's hand or pocket, and it, it isn't doing that. Um, you know, for every dollar that's spent at a musical venue, they say that, that it's twelve dollars back in the community. Um, so I mean, it, it, these are you know these are opportunities for growth, and I think that music is kind of poised right now. You know, if if and when music bounces back, well, when music bounces back post COVID it's got one of the biggest opportunities to help recovery in these communities around the country. Yeah, there's a lot of politicians who have suddenly discovered the value of music, <laughs> you know, in the absence of the value of music. Yep. And I know like when I first read these last two bills that we just touched on, you know, Atlanta just, in the film industry has grown so much 
whereas you know there's so many productions in atlanta that makes these bills even more powerful i mean we've seen marvel who have filmed massive films maybe big productions in atlanta and post-covid we've seen their marvel disney plus series mcu stuff that has started to pick up in atlanta as well so we've started to slowly see that music and film kind of go up in the i guess the space of covid and everything and that's the last cobra kai season was uh looked certainly looked like it was filmed in georgia <laughs> having grown up in california i could tell it wasn't california so i think that's georgia right so if they're even doing cobra kai uh filming in georgia that's a good sign for georgia right so yeah Marlo, thank you so much again for coming on it was a very great pleasure to have you on great insight and we look forward to seeing what these legislations hold well thank you thank you guys for your support and all that you guys do for artist rights um david and chris i applaud your efforts well thank, um, you. thank you thank you keep it up <laughs> We will try. But it's people Fighting like you. A good fight. <laughs> it's people like you, Mal, on the ground in the state houses that probably really make a big difference. Unsung heroes. So thank you, Mala. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Artist Rights Watch. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can add us on Twitter at Artist Rights or on Facebook at Artist Rights Watch, or you can check out our website, artistrightswatch.com. If you missed any of that, you can check our show notes. It has all that information and our contact information. Also, if you specifically like today's topic, there will also be extra information in the show notes as well where you can do extra research and learn more about today's topic. We'll catch you again next time where we will be continuing our watch for artist rights. Cheers.